Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another program. Now, in today's episode, I want to share some key learnings with you that I was really fortunate to pick up at a recent conference that I was fortunate enough to go to. Now, in my current position as um, head national youth coach for the Bangladesh Football Federation, I was invited along with a colleague to the third AFC Elite Youth Conference which was held in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Now, just that alone is a real positive and a real blessing to be able to experience the travel and to be able to experience such places. And I have to say that Malaysia and the little bit that I saw of it, and particularly Kuala Lumpur, the, the central area of Kuala Lumpur, stay in a beautiful hotel, and we were fortunate that we had did have a few hours spare, so went to went to have a little look around. There's a free bus service that takes you around the city. The buildings are phenomenal. Um, I believe that the Petronas Towers, that again, I was fortunate enough to be shown around, couldn't get up the Petronas Towers because it was actually closed on the day we were there. But was we were able to look around outside. If you ever get the opportunity to travel to that country and to that area, go and have a look at it. It's a phenomenal place. If you're into your shopping, well, there must be every single retail establishment available there. It's beautifully clean. The people are friendly. And it is a place that is really, really worth worth visiting. And um, just just an honor to, uh, to be able to experience that. Now, the real reason that I was there was for the to represent the Bangladesh Football Federation and to you know to, to network and to, to learn some things about Asian Asian youth football at the conference and it was a fantastic conference and I want to share with you eleven and it's a it's a strange thing that there's eleven but there's eleven key learnings for me that came out of it. There's a lot more really in terms of the detail, but uh, obviously the many people won't have had the opportunity to go. So um, I'm gonna share these with you. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this in outside of Asia, then, um, and you're listening to it in Europe, then let me just tell you that Asia is coming. In terms of football, Asia is coming. There is a an often thrown about maxim in sport that it is easier to get to the top than it is to stay there. And without engaging in any raging debate about which continent has been the best and the most successful in terms of football, um, in football's history, um, whichever that is, whether it's South America or it's Europe, whichever you want to pin your hat on, then um, if we say that Asia up to yet has not been the most successful, well, let me tell you that Europe and South America you're going to have to work extremely hard to stay at the top because Asia is coming. It's got drive, it has hunger and desire, and it has experts 
and it has populations and young populations and Asia is coming without a doubt. So watch this space over the next few years and if it's not evident already, which I think it probably is with the successes of teams that have already been seen on the world stage like Korea and like Japan and like Qatar, then Asia is certainly coming and welcome 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 it's uh it's a great it's a great thing and um it was a wonderful wonderful experience the content of the presentations was really good and there's loads and loads to share so here we go the 11 learnings from the afc youth conference number one and some of these you will know and um i make no excuses for this being a little bit niche in terms of um football coaching but you can apply this Remember, ladies and gentlemen, you can apply this to anything because success principles, as we keep saying on the podcast, even if it's just one of them, are applicable to all aspects of success and all aspects of life. And sometimes it just takes one thing, one thing that is the final piece in the jigsaw for you personally, in your space, in your niche, on your journey that makes all the difference. Because there are fine lines, as we all know, between success and failure. Very, very fine lines. Okay, so here we go. Number one, precocious talent matures very slowly, if at all. Precocious talent matures very slowly, if at all. Now, in the world of elite youth football, we often get excited about the precocious talent and the way that it goes is that we have all these hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of young people playing football at all levels. We call it grassroots in Europe and I think they call it grassroots in Asia as well. And from that will arise and it's, the ages get earlier and earlier because that's the way the world is going. The, the, the good players, the, the strong players, the ones that show talent and potential arise out of that and are graduated into, let's just call it an elite arena or a, an a elite scheme, whether that's under the jurisdiction of professional clubs, whether it's that's under the jurisdiction of a national governing body or private academies, whichever the system or the model is, that's what generally happens. So these good players, these better players, and we'll call them precocious talents, then are trained and nurtured and looked after as they are considered to be ones who have the potential to grow and become professional players or certainly rise to the top of the game. Now, the message is that precocious talent matures very, very slowly. And here's the key and the crux, if at all. We get so excited about seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds and even younger than that these days who show ability. And we completely lose track of the fact that there has to be another decade or two decades, probably not quite two decades, but at least one decade and a half before that talent will reach its maturity and potential and how many things will occur and can occur on that journey that can affect that young individual. It's almost incredible that we actually think like that about young people. And it's a stark reminder to all of us in terms of 
how we deal with all kinds of people in our organizations, the people who are growing, who are learning, who are being educated, who are coming in as apprentices, or the young people that we are coaching, that precocious talent needs time and may not even get there. And yes, we can facilitate it. Yes, we can help it. Yes, we can create the right environment or the best environment, but actually there are millions and millions of things that will impact it that will make sure that probably, very probably, if the statistics carry on, that the majority of it that's potentialized at the beginning will not make the grade. And that's something we need to understand as coaches. Otherwise, we will drive ourselves crazy and we will not be the best coaches that we can possibly be because we will lack patience and we will overlook the people who do not seem to be the best at the beginning and we will ruin by forcing to grow or attempting to grow the people who we see as the talent. What a great piece of learning. If that's the only thing that came out of it, it was worth going to be reminded of that fact. Next thing, because there is a lack of this in Asia, whether that's historical, it's cultural, it's environmental, geographical, logistical, financial, economical, whatever the reasons, Competition drives everything. Without competition, we will not achieve what it is we can possibly achieve. All the evidence in the world points to the fact that if you put two runners together in a race and they are asked to run as hard as they possibly can, both runners will achieve more and will get there faster and will achieve a, a, a greater time than if they were asked to do it independently and alone. So competition drives everything. And one of the things we need to do is to be happy and positive about engaging in fair competition because competition is what gets us there at the end. Going back to point number one about precocious talent, we have to think long-term and we have to think development and performance, not winning and results. I'm going to say that again. We have to think long-term. We have to think about development and performance, not winning and results. If we think about winning and results, that is a short-term focus and we will short-circuit and we will get weak results in the long-term, if anything at all. We have to be patient. We have to make gradual gains and we have to put things in place that create long-term success, which allow everything to mature properly. And there's a couple of great examples of that, of nations that have embraced that philosophy, Qatar, Japan, and South Korea. Those three nations have shown that they have engaged with the process. They have invested financially, invested emotionally and invested their people skills and their data and, and their raw material into long-term philosophies and they are now getting success from that with great foundations in place for the future. Number four, it's not just the 11 on the pitch, it's the teams behind the teams. Again, I refer back to what we just talked about in terms of the nations that are progressing 
and showing real improvement and the ability to compete on the world stage. These, these organizations and these nations have invested not only in the coaching staff, but have invested wisely in phenomenal support structures, the, the medical staff, the science staff, the data staff, and the administration staff, all to put in great foundations that support everything that allows that 90 minutes on the grass, 11 v 11, that all the spectators want to watch. But behind that, as we know, is the iceberg that lies under the sea. All the administration, all the financial investment, all the work, all the science, and all the training that goes behind it. Absolutely fundamental. Can only be in place when there is a quality team behind the team. So in your organization, in your business, in your family, in your niche, are you investing and looking after and creating and nurturing and building the team behind the team. Great, great learning. Number five, relationships. These are all interlinked, but these relationships are related to what we've just talked about. You cannot build a successful organization. You cannot build a successful team unless there is a focus on the relationships, the relationship between the medical team, the science team, the administration team, the financial team, the social media team, and everything that goes in place to support networks that allow everything to work. You have to get buy-in, first of all, from the people with the power, the politicians, whether that's your president or that's the organizational committees that make the key decisions, because those people have to buy into and have to okay everything that's gonna go on. And in, in, in the organization that you're in, in the business that you're in, whether you are the decision maker, you know, you have to be an integral part of that process and you have to be in there at the beginning. So if your leaders are, are on board with you, then everything's gonna be okay. They say in football management that the most important relationship that you have is the relationship with your chairman or your employer, or the person who makes the decisions, then that's absolutely crucial in this arena too. So these relationships, absolutely vital. From there, the power makers, the decision makers, you need to have relationships with your administrators because without administrators, you will be overwhelmed. You will be overwhelmed with communications, overwhelmed with work. There will be inefficiency and things will not occur. So those two fundamentals have to be in place at some level and have to be incrementally improved and, and, and engaged and, and empowered and evolved as, as the organization grows and as the success comes along before the technical and the medical and the on pitch and the physical stuff goes on before people start to kick footballs or at the same time that people start to kick footballs these things need to be in place and there needs to be this common vision so everybody understands where it is we're trying to get to and how we're going to get there next one systems it's really important that 
when this action starts to take place, the decision's been made about where the organisation wants to go, where the nation wants to go, where the federation wants to go, whether the, where the club wants to go, and people are put in place to do specific jobs, to, to carry out roles and have responsibilities, that systems are put in place, things are written down, so that people can be taught how to do things and then the decision makers can leave the doing to other people so they can have their minds and their headspace on the things that, that they need to do. If you have to do everything yourself, you will ultimately burn out and you will not create any freedom from that and you will only grow to a certain size. So it's really important that you have a focus and a philosophy on systemization so that you can do what you do best and the structures will remain in place whether you're there or not and there will be some traction because the minute you move away, if everything relies on you, it will fall apart. So there needs to be a focus on systemization that, that and that that comes into play in every aspect of life you know that the more we systemize the the more freedom we will have in our lives and the more empowered we will be in everything whether that's the financial aspect of life whether that's the the technical aspects of your work or whatever it is the more you can systemize the, the, the less you will have to focus on the on the tasks that you don't really need to do and you can delegate to other people who can then learn and grow and you can go on and move on to do other things. So systemization. Okay, the next one, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Number seven, to be successful, you need the raw material. So you need the players. How do you get the players? You have a grassroots program in place, whatever that looks like at the bottom end. When I say the bottom end, I mean the younger end where young people can just engage in your sport, in your football, can enjoy it and can practice and can get good and can realize the benefits of playing and, and being involved in the sport. So you need the raw material. The next thing you need you need support staff. Specifically, you need good quality coaches, educated coaches, inspiring coaches that young people want to be around and want to look up to and want to listen to and want to learn from. Whether you just say coaches or you talk about other support staff that are on board, have the vision and take on seriously their, their own responsibilities in terms of their roles of moving the organization forward towards its clear objective. So you need the raw material, you need the players. Number two, you need the coaches and the support staff. And number three, as we've said, and point number two, you need competition. So you need to compete and, and, and play and show yourself against other organizations, other teams, other clubs, other nations, so that you can push yourself on and push yourself on and push yourself on. So you need these three things. You need the raw material, you need the coaches, and you need the empowering people, and you need the competition. Have all those three things in place, and over a period of time, you will create success. 
Leader Manager Coach podcast is available via the Leader Manager Coach app. Download it now to access the rich resource of unique, insightful and educational material to help you on your own journey in football, sport and life. Leader Manager Coach for the game, for life. Available now on Google Play and Apple App Store. Number, I think it's number eight. Number eight. There are three key but broad stages in getting people to the level of elite professional football. I mean, let's let's just just recap a little bit. You hear it all the time in Europe. Um, or oh, I want my son to be a professional footballer. Everybody wants to be a professional footballer. Every young boy wants to play professional football. Yes, we know how much it means to people and it's a wonderful thing. We know how people's dreams and lives are, are so affected by, by the world of football and, and ultimately that's what drives it all. But, you know, from, a, from an expert point of view and from, from somebody who, who, you know, the coaches who, who are listening to this podcast, you will know that there are three key stages before we even begin to think about the final stage. And the first one is the grassroots stage. As we've already alluded to, we've already talked about that is the little bit where hundreds and thousands of young people are allowed to enjoy and to participate at whatever level they wish to. It should be fun, it should be engaging, it should be safe and it should be available and it shouldn't be costly. And that is a fantastic grassroots program and it's all about numbers and it's all about enjoyment and it's all about engagement and it's all about fun. And if you have that in place, you have a foundation, believe you me. If you haven't got that in place, then you do not have the broad, strong basis from which the ultimate successes on the world stage at the very top will come from. It's has to be built from the bottom up, absolutely has to be built from the bottom up. This stage is a fundamental and has to be in place. The next stage is the, what we have termed the elite youth level, whereby the best, the potentialized and the precocious talent from this grassroots program can then be taken and can be nurtured and can be facilitated and can be educated and helped along so that they have the opportunity to develop their skills and, and become the best that they can be in relation to the sport that they've chosen. And this is that transition phase that we, so many of us are involved in, where we take the, the ones with the talent, the ones with the potential, girls or boys, and we coach them, we educate them, we facilitate them and we inspire them so that they have the opportunity along with all the other things that are necessary, the support networks that allow them to have the opportunity to become fully developed professional footballers. Yes, we know that the, the chances of doing that are very, very slim and the statistics will tell us, but it's the same in everything. How many people become Olympic athletes? How many people become CEOs of worldwide famous organizations? How many people become um, singers that um, have number one hits? We know, but that should not be the reason that people don't desire and strive 
and look to attain things. So it's, but it's important we recognize as professionals those three key areas so that we don't mix things up and we don't try to force things in the wrong areas that should be left to the next, the next phase. Okay, the next one is talent requires talent. What does that mean? Talent requires talent. What it means is that if you are an elite youth coach, you have decided you want to be a youth coach, you want to inspire and educate and coach and teach and facilitate the development of young people with talent, you have to be talented. And in order to be talented, you probably have to have a desire to work, work, work and work at your own abilities in order to make yourself and grow yourself and evolve yourself into the very best person and the very best individual and the very best coach that you can possibly be. Coaching is one of those things that people think they can naturally do and on the face of it, it looks easy to do. It's actually, to be any good at it, it is ridiculously difficult. And you have to commit yourself to a journey of self-analysis, to self-education, to long hours, just like with anything else. It is no different than any other profession. It's no different than any other skill. It will only come and when you work, you make mistakes, you work, you learn, you, you, you go through the processes, you're out on the grass, you're in the stadiums, you're in the classrooms and, and you're talking to people and you're coaching, you're doing your practical sessions, you're observing, you're learning, you're getting feedback, you're having mentorship sessions, etc., etc., etc. So talent requires talent. So if it's not for you, it's much better that you put yourself into another arena because although it looks sexy and it looks glorious and it looks what a wonderful profession, yes, it actually is, but all the, all the trappings are just a faint aroma around the whole thing. It's actually about getting down to it on cold, wet, rainy days, sitting down and doing the things that you probably have no idea what you need to do in order to facilitate young talent's growth from point A to point B. So talent requires talent. Next one. The roles involved in being an elite youth coach. I mean, you know, you could say, oh, great, you've got to be, you've got to understand the game technically. Absolutely, you have to understand the game technically. Otherwise, how can you educate somebody else? You know, you have to understand how, how people play the game. Of course, you have to understand how people play the game. But what, what else do you need to know? Well, you need to know how to identify young talent. You need to understand how to nurture that talent. You need to understand how to explain things to people. You need to understand how to demonstrate and how to show things to young people. You need to have, you need to understand how to be patient with people and actually how to love them. Because if you don't love them and you don't love the process and you don't empathize with where they are, you will not get the best out of them. You need to understand how to lead them because they will look up to you and they will expect to be able to follow the path 
that you lay out for them. You have to be able to inspire them. So you have to be an inspiring individual in whatever form that is for you, with your personality and in your own way. You don't have to follow anybody else. And find, you have to be able to support people because people will go through good times and will go through bad times. And your involvement with them, although it can be for a short period of time, if you are a coach in any organization for any length of time, you will be spending many days, many weeks, many months, and often years influencing and responding to and in relationships with people for lengths of time. And so therefore you have to be able to do all of these things. And finally, when it all comes to fruition, whatever fruition that is, whatever result that is, you have to learn to let go. Because these young people do not belong to anybody but themselves. They are not yours. They're not you from you. You are just there as a small part of their journey and you have to learn to let go. And yes, it's hard sometimes and there are often psychological things that, that you think, wow, you know, I've really invested in that person. Absolutely you have. But ultimately they are their own individual. So you have to learn to let go. Uh, next thing, learning how people learn. This has been a massive one in terms of coach education for me, learning how people learn. I mean, just as a, as a, as a quick story, and, and many of you who come from my generation will recognize this, I was brought up in the generation when we sat down, we looked up and we listened to what somebody told us from the front of the stage, from the front of the classroom. We wrote it down, we learned it, and we went and did it. That was how we did it. We did it at school, we did it at college, we did it at university. And when I went on to my coach education, I did it in my coach education. And then somewhere halfway through my coach education, people started to talk about guided discovery and Q&A, where it's all about involving people in the learning process. It took a long time for me to buy into that. And I still think there's a balance, but I understand definitely now that there is this generation of young people who are computer literate from almost the minute they're born who have not had the same life experience that we had from our generation. And they are much faster at learning in certain ways. They are actually much slower in learning in other ways. They are less responsive to certain ways of information provision, but they're so much quicker in other ways. They have very specific ways of learning. They don't respond so well in terms of verbal commands they don't respond so well in terms of listening but they do respond visually according to the evidence and they do respond to learning from screens better because that's what their brains are used to and we have to engage with this at some level whether we agree with it or whether we don't isn't the point in order to get the best and facilitate the most out of these young people we have to engage with this generation and whether we guide them to alternative ways of learning, that's another question altogether. But it's important to realize that if we don't engage with the way that their brains work, we will not get the best out of the relationship and we will not get the maximum growth that we're, we're, we're able to do if we do that kind of thing. So how people learn. And the last thing, which again is not new, but it's so worth underlining is 
the theory of late development. You know, with young people, you can get people in their teenage years who are 14 years of age chronologically. But maturity, they can be 12 years of age because their hormones haven't started to kick in. Their physiology is lagging behind other people. And some other people who are chronologically 14 years of age are nearer the 16-year-olds. So in theory, and actually in practice, you can get on a football pitch two people who are actually almost four years of age in terms of their difference. And that can come just from natural physiological changes. So we have to be aware of that. And with that in mind, we need to understand that we can, it's, it's vital for us in this kind of respect that we understand that. And if we judge too quickly, we will throw away those, those people who are not physically mature, who are not competing, because physiologically they need another three months, another six months, another 12 months, another, another 18 months to mature. And very, very, very often these young people go on and progress and actually bypass the people who were more mature 12 months ago. And these are often the people who are the ones who go on and become the real successes. There are numerous examples and so many examples in the professional game of elite players who were in that category of people. So be very, very aware of making judgments too early. So there we go. Those are the, those are the key learnings from uh, this, this, this uh, fantastic conference. You know, I'll just quick, quickly review them. Don't forget that precocious talent requires um, lots and lots of time. Competition drives everything. Think long-term, think development, think performance. Engage with the relationships and engage with the, with the power structures in, and, and get people on board and, and recognize that there are teams behind teams. Understand the power of systemization. Understand it requires the raw material, it requires the facilitators and it also requires competition. Remember that youth development, just like many things, has three key stages, as the grassroots, the broad base where everybody engages. Then we have the elite youth phase, uh, dealing with the, with the talent and, the, and, and the, the ones who show potential before we even get to the professional phase and the elite phase. Remember that talent requires talent. And if you're a facilitator or a coach, engage with that process yourself and become the best that you can be understand the multifaceted roles as a leader, a coach, that you're gonna to have to engage with all these, all these young people, all, all the support things you need to do and the listening you need to do is just as well as the, the actual technical coaching. Understand that people learn differently and we have to engage with how people's brains are evolving if we wanna get the best out of them. And don't forget that there are late developers. And sometimes the things we see aren't always the things that are happening. Just wanted to share those key learnings from this uh, this youth conference. I hope it's helped. If you've got any comments, let me know at www.robrowse.co.uk or catch me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, anything just to give me some feedback. That'll be absolutely great. Look, I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you've got some key learnings out of it. And uh, even if it's just one thing. All right, listen, oh, as always, great to, uh, great to have you along and I appreciate your time. All right, catch you later. Bye-bye.